this week on Hope for the Broken. We make choices every day as to which God we serve. What do we allow to shape our family? Who do we align our lives to? What shapes our views? What do we believe family is to be? What drives our family? Is it the pursuit of the things of this world? Or is it the pursuit of Almighty God? This, beloved, is the choice we are all confronted with. We choose each and every day whom we serve. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we continue our series called Biblical Family in a Modern World. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part nine titled, Your House, Your Choice. Well, we're approaching the end of our teaching series that we've called A Biblical Family in a Modern World. And I hope that this series has been a blessing to you. Uh, It has been, at many points, a challenge to me personally uh, to be the kind of husband and the kind of dad that that God is calling me to be and and hope that it's been encouraging and challenging to you as well. We've covered a variety of topics. We've taken a look at God's design for marriage. We've talked about what it means to build godly homes and not just build houses. We talked about the biblical roles of husband and wife and how they're different. We've talked about what it takes to raise godly kids. We've talked about finances within the home. We've talked about intimacy and marriage. And last week, we talked about communication. Today's message is entitled, Your House, Your Choice. It is your house, and there is a choice that you must make. And we're going to discover what that choice is today. So I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Joshua. We're going to be in the book of Joshua today. And if you're new to Bible study, and by the way, it's okay that you are, because we're all new to Bible study at some point. Joshua is the sixth book in the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then Joshua. And we're going to be in chapter 24 of the book of Joshua, and we're going to key in on verses 14 and 15 in our study here this morning. But, you know, it's been somewhat humorous for me to observe my parents in the stage of life that they are in. Both of my parents have been retired. My mom this year turned 74. My dad turned 76. And the thing that I've noticed about my parents is uh, the older they get, the less they care about what other people think. Uh, Anybody else relate to me on that? You've got parents that could care less what anybody else thinks. I got to share the story about when we were playing uh, in a baseball tournament, and my parents are going to kill me because I know that they're tuning in right now. Uh, But we were playing in this tournament. You know, I coach my boys in in baseball, and, and my parents were there. One thing you need to know about my parents, they are fiercely supportive of their kids and grandkids. In fact, to my mom, like we're the best athletes in the world and we deserve to be on the Olympics, right? That's the way my mom views things. And my dad likes to tell the umpires where they're wrong and where they can improve, right? And so he's very vocal. He's very loud, right? His voice is so booming. It was a voice that would paralyze me whenever I was a kid and doing something I shouldn't do when I would hear his voice. It's that kind of voice. And, and, and he was, we were at this tournament. We're playing in a championship game and he's just giving these umps to what for? So much so that me, the coach, right? I had to go to my dad 
And I'd say, Dad, I need you to simmer down. And my dad said, you know what, Chris? The part in my brain that cares is broken, right? So I don't, I don't even care, right? And, uh, and so that was, that was kind of funny. I, I mentioned that this morning because when it comes to our text in Joshua 24, uh, Joshua is somewhere between 100 and 110 years of age. And you know, there comes an age where you could say whatever you want, and you get away with it, right? And I'm not sure where that age is, uh, but I would say 100 plus is that age, right? Would you agree with that? And so here he is. He's 100 to 110, and he's getting ready to go to glory, and he doesn't care what anybody else thinks. He's going to speak his mind, and he's going to speak his convictions. And what Joshua says is so powerful. Let me tell you how powerful it is. What Joshua says in this very passage are words that are etched in people's homes and displayed upon our walls. It's the infamous line, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Parents, families, grandparents, in order to be a biblical family in our modern world, we have to realize it is our house and it is our choice. We must take our homes, take responsibility for our homes, and choose this day whom we shall serve. This morning, we're going to look at the faithfulness of Joshua, and we're going to see that building faithfulness in our families requires character, it requires a choice, and it requires deep conviction. That will serve as our outline here this morning. So let's begin by looking at the fact that building faithfulness requires character. Character. When it comes to Joshua, he was a man of great character. His life was marked by faithfulness and service to God. He spent his entire life serving God. And and that had a profound impact upon his family, and not just his family, many families. So what was it that that led Joshua to be a man of great character, and who was this Joshua anyway? Well, Joshua was born in Egypt while the Israelites were enslaved there. History tells us that they spent 400 years serving as slaves under the Pharaoh of Egypt. And God was preparing them to be led out of slavery, and, and a baby was born. We know his name as Moses. And Moses was born during a time period where there was a decree to kill Hebrew boys. And and so his mom, desiring to spare his life, and at the prompting of God, placed him in a basket and floated him down the Nile River. And you guys know the story, right? He he floated right along to Pharaoh's daughter, and Pharaoh's daughter adopted him. And and Moses grew up as a prince in, in the palace in Egypt. Now, when Moses was 40, he killed a man who was enacting harsh punishment upon a Hebrew. And so he fled out into the wilderness of Midian. That's when he was 40 years old. He spent 40 years out there in Midian. And then when he was 80, God called him to go back to Pharaoh and demand that Pharaoh let God's people go. Well, you guys know the story. Pharaoh refused that. And so God sent a series of 10 plagues. Uh, upon Egypt, ultimately leading to the very last one, Pharaoh losing his son as a result of the, the plague of the death of the firstborn son, and he released the Jews, and out they went. 
Now, the reason why I bring that up in, in light of who Joshua was is because if my calculations are right in the scriptures, I look at it, Joshua is between 30 and 40 years old when the Exodus happens. And the reason why that's important is because Joshua lived all the events of the Exodus. He knew what life was like. He was 40. He knew what life was like before God led them out of Egypt. He witnessed firsthand the plagues. He knew what life was like when God was directing him, and it was the only source of knowledge that they had. He witnessed the first Passover. He saw with his own eyes the parting of the Red Sea. He stepped with his own feet onto the dry ground when the Red Sea was parted. And he turned and watched as the sea swallowed up the Egyptians in pursuit of him. His eyes had seen these things. He had witnessed the the delivery of the Ten Commandments. He saw the tablets. He witnessed the construction of the tabernacle. In other words, Joshua had a lifetime of experiencing the faithfulness of God. And that continued as a pattern throughout the rest of his life. About a year after the Exodus, Moses led the people to the edge of the Promised Land, to the Jordan River, and and they had a choice to make. Are we going to take possession of the land in which God has given us? And by the way, if you want to know what all the unrest is in the Middle East, it goes back to these very days, that it was God's promised land, but there is a group of people that does not view the, the Jews' promised land from God. And they want that land. And so we have been engaged in holy wars ever since. And here Moses is. He leads the people to the Jordan. And the people say, hey, listen, we want to send 12 spies, one from each tribe, into the land to scope it all out for us on a reconnaissance mission. Well, Joseph, or Joshua, sorry, Joshua was one of the 12 spies. And when the 12 spies had spent 40 days in the land, they came back and reported to the people. Well, two of the spies said, it's, it's awesome, let's go and take, take possession of the land. But 10 of the spies talked about the difficulties and the hurdles that they would have to overcome. Well, the two that said, let's go take possession of the land was Caleb and Joshua. They were relying upon God's faithfulness to them and God's command, but the other 10 were doubtful. And so the people voted and they decided to go with the 10. And what resulted in that was 38 to 39 more years of wandering in the wilderness. In that time period, Joshua was named as Moses' assistant. And when Moses died at the age of 120, Joshua became the leader of the nation of Israel. Just days following Moses' death, Joshua began moving the people, leading the people to take possession of what was promised to them, the land. And you remember the first battle, Joshua fit the battle at Jericho, right? He marched around the city walls, and then they let out a big shout. And y'all remember what happened? The walls came tumbling down. You remember that great song, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, Jericho? No? Okay. All right. Just me. And here's what happened. Joshua began a series of victory after victory after victory and the, the, until the people had become settled in the land in which God had given them. At the end of it all, he defeated 31 kings and six nations. He led the Jews to take hold of that which God had promised him. Why is it important when we talk about the character of Joshua to understand his history? Well, 
Faithfulness to God comes from a history with God. Faithfulness to God comes from a history with God. In fact, when Joshua begins his speech in chapter 24, verse 1, he calls all the Jews together. He says, I want everyone to meet. And I want you to meet me in Shechem. And Shechem was a very uh, meaningful place for the Jews. And there he began his speech with a recap of Israel's history. And he speaks on behalf of God. And as God is speaking through his servant Joshua, God says things like, I gave and I sent or I plagued, I brought, I destroyed and I delivered. And God says those phrases 16 times in the first part of Joshua's speech. In other words, God is wanting to remind his people of their history. Listen, I was faithful to you then. Don't you think I'll be faithful to you now? And I'll be faithful on into the future? God's faithfulness in the past is the best indicator that God would be continue to be faithful in our lives today. And he wanted them to understand that. So the question then is, what does all this have to do with raising a biblical family, building a biblical family? Well, I believe what we learn from Joshua's example is the importance of leading our families in such a way that they have history with God. Does your family have history with God? How have you seen God move in the life of your family? How is it that when you come to a crossroads in your life, when you come to a challenge, does your family say, you know what, I don't know what we're going to do, but God has been faithful then, he'll be faithful now. Why? Because we have history with God. To build a biblical family, you've got to create history with God. You know, one of the observations that I have made about our culture is that we have what, what many theologians refer to as a microwave faith. We want to do something and we want to see the immediate results right now. We want to say this prayer and we want to see God show up and answer it right now, right? Well, the problem with that is that rarely does God's timetable operate with our timetable. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. Think about Joshua for a moment. 40 years of his life enslaved. God, what are you going to do? God, are you going to show up? Hearing his grandparents talk about the harsh years of slavery. God, where are you? What are you going to do? But Joshua was trusting in God's timing. And that served him very well. Because when he began to see the events unfold, he knew God was at work. And when he came to challenges in his life, he was able then to lean upon his history with God to know that God was going to come through yet again. Let me give you a case in point. I imagine if I'm Joshua and I'm standing on the brink of the Jordan River about to lead God's people, the awesome weight that that must have been to him. But yet with every step, him wondering, these are large cities we're up against these are large armies we're going to encounter. We're going to go up against accomplished kings. Can I do this? God, do you think that I can really do this? But as I imagine in my mind's eye that Joshua, after answering that question, he comes to the answer of saying, I can't, but God can. You know why? Because this is simply just another Red Sea moment. I remember the Red Sea. 
Whenever my back is up against the wall and I don't know where I'm going to turn and I don't know what's going to happen, God opens red seas. I remember. And so God's uh, continued to show his faithfulness in and through Joshua. Do you understand the kind of faith like that that is passed down to future generations and how immeasurable that is? I mean, that's, that's powerful, right? When our kids leave our nest and they encounter the trials of this world, will they say, you know what? It's no big deal. God's been faithful to me then. He'll be faithful to me now. God provided then. He'll provide for me now. When faced with challenges, will the next generation say, no big deal? It's just a Red Sea moment, right? God's going to come through. But you see, that kind of faith only comes by having history with God. I'm afraid that we are raising a generation that does not have a history with God to rely upon. And we are entrusted with our kids to build that history within them. How do you build a history in your family? A history with God. Well, teach your children. Teach your family what it means to serve the Lord. It's your house. It's your choice. Engage in the Lord's work. Make sure they are in church, participating in the ministries of the, and the events the church provides. Model it. Talk about God's faithfulness often. These are ways that we build history with God. You know, there are times in, in Kathy and I's life where we can look back and we see undoubtedly it is the hand of God. And it's in moments of, of a crossroads that we go back there. We say, God, you were faithful then. And we trust you that you'll be faithful now and into the future. We must build a history with God in our families. So we see the godly character of Joshua. Secondly, we see that building faithfulness requires a choice. It requires choice. Joshua comes to the peak of his speech, the climax of his speech, and he talks about a choice that must be made. And you know, Quite frankly, it's a choice that you and I have to make today. Read along with me, verse 14, the first part, through the first part of verse 15. Joshua says, after sharing the history, now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Joshua presents us with a a choice. The choice is to either fear the Lord, to respect him, to revere him, or to serve other gods. And he says, if you are to serve the Lord, then do so with sincerity. In other words, with all devotion, be real, be authentic in your devotion to God in a singularly focused kind of way. To serve God means, Joshua's saying, you can't serve other lowercase g gods. He makes mention of three regions by which the gods of those regions had a tendency to influence the Jews. He mentions beyond the river. He mentions Egypt. 
and he mentions the Amorites. Beyond the river would refer to the Babylonian culture. What gods did the Babylonians worship? Well, they worshiped gods like the fertility gods and zodiac gods. You want to know where horoscopes came from? It came from the worship of zodiac gods. The reference to Egypt referred to the many false gods that the Egyptians worshipped while they were serving as slaves there in Egypt. There were gods like the sun god, the moon god, and the animal god. And then he mentions the gods of the Amorites. What gods did they serve? Well, they served gods much like what our culture serves. Let's see if you can identify the gods of our culture with the gods of the Amorites of that day. They worshipped gods of intellect, gods of pleasure, gods of possessions, and gods of sexual deviancy. Joshua's saying you can't worship those gods and worship the Lord God. You have a choice to make. Choose you this day whom you will serve. What I find interesting about this statement is, is Joshua's assumption that he makes. He says, if you don't want to serve the Lord God, then serve other gods. Do you see his assumption? The choice is not whether or not we're going to serve the Lord God Almighty. The choice is which God will you serve? See, because every person has a God. Isn't it true in our day? Whether we want to admit it or not, we all serve a God. It is the supreme passion by which we operate our lives. That's whoever God is to us. Joshua wants that to be the Lord God Almighty. That's his urging. Surrender, fear, serve the Lord God only. But if he's not who you're serving, then you're serving another God. Someone might say, well, but I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. So therefore, I don't worship a God. Well, what I would say to that person, well, then what is the supreme passion of your life? Is it money? Is it fame? Is it the pleasures of this world? Is it your own intelligence? What is it that, that is supreme in your life? Because then that is what is God in your life. Fast forward to us today. We make choices every day as to which God we serve. What do we allow to shape our family? Who do we align our lives to? What shapes our views? What do we believe family is to be? What do we look at and determine what a wife is to be, what a husband is to be, what a man is to be, what a woman is to be? What drives our family? Is it the pursuit of the things of this world? Or is it the pursuit of Almighty God? This, beloved, is the choice we are all confronted with. We choose each and every day whom we serve. To be a biblical family, we must allow the Lord God and the Lord God only to shape those things within us. It's a choice that confronts you and me. It is our house. It is then, therefore, our choice. I can hear the words of Joshua saying to each of us today, choose this day whom you will serve. You know, it's not a choice for later on in life. It's not a choice for when we graduate high school, then we choose. It's not a choice for when we get married, then we choose. 
It's not a choice for when we have children and then we choose, or when we have grandchildren and then we choose, or when we retire and then we choose. No, choose you this day whom you will serve. So we've looked at the character. We've looked at the faithfulness of Joshua and then the choice that he made. Thirdly, let's see that building faithfulness in our families requires conviction. It requires a sense of conviction deep within us as to what choice we will make. What I love most about this passage is the conviction I hear in Joshua's voice. Look again at verse 15. As you see the conviction in his voice. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your father served in the region beyond the river or the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me, my house, the decision is made. We will serve the Lord. Do you hear the resolve? Do you hear the gut level foundation, the conviction that Joshua has? There's actually two parts to his conviction when you look at it in the scripture. First, his conviction is deeply personal. It's very personal. He describes his personal decision. You all must determine for yourselves which God you will serve, but regardless of what you decide, I'm going to serve the Lord. See, before he makes a conviction, a resolve, a stance for his family, he first says, as for me, I will serve the Lord. It's personal. Moms, dads, grandparents, what convictions do you have? What is it that at at the end of the day, no matter what the rest of the world is doing, you are choosing to do? What's the conviction based upon the revelation of the Holy Spirit? Because before you can pass that along for your kids, it's got to be true for you. Right? We can't pass along that which we don't have. You and I need resolve. We need to be convicted about what is true and what is right. And regardless of what the rest of the world does, choose you this day whom you will serve. And listen, I know it's a challenge, but it's your house. It's my house. It's our choice. No one influences that except for you and me. And whom will you serve? What kind of personal conviction do we have? But not only was Joshua's conviction personal, it was also corporate. It's for his family. He says, as for me and my house. In other words, as the leader of my home, I'm speaking for all of us. I'm making a declaration for us all. We are going to serve the Lord. Here's what we learn here. Our personal spiritual convictions impacts all other relationships we have in our life. When we are convicted to the core about something, about a truth, then we see to it that our families know that truth, right? We see to it that our kids operate according to that truth. The the thing that I see in our culture is a lack of biblical conviction. We, we succumb too easily to the things of this world, the ideologies of the world. 
But if you are going to be a biblical family, before you can pass that on to your kids, it's first got to be in you. It's got to be a core of who you are. Our culture has abandoned moral absolutes. But it's your house. It's your choice. Don't you dare do it. Culture has reconfigured and is redefining the family. But who cares? They got to choose who they will serve, but it is your house and therefore your choice. Our culture is pursuing what is right in their own eyes. Don't you do it. It's your house, your choice. Don't sacrifice your convictions. Be resolved, be convicted, be committed to God's ways for your family. That's what Joshua did. And you know, it's hard, isn't it? Because we feel the pressure of this in our daily lives. You don't agree with my ideology, then you must be canceled. And we feel the weight of that, right? Choose you this day whom you will serve because it will drive everything you do as a family and who you align your life to. Now, what's interesting about this, I've already told you that Joshua was somewhere between 100 and 110 years old. Here's what I find fascinating about this. That means his kids were what? Like 90, 80? His grandkids were 60, right? They're getting ready to retire. And yet he goes, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I mean, at this point, he's lost all ability to dictate what his kids and grandkids do, right? Wouldn't you say? So what does this mean? What are we to make of this? When he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is what I think. I think Joshua is choosing to say, I'm going to leverage whatever influence I have for future generations. Because uh, I'm going to choose this day to leverage influence. I have influence, whatever influence I have, I'm going to use it to see that we serve the Lord. And here's what we learned from, from Joshua. It's never too late to leverage influence. It's never too early either. It's never too late. It's never too early. We see this in our own, own life. We have, you know, uh, Carson is a sophomore at Dallas Baptist University, and, you know, she'll encounter a, a tr trial. Now, she knows most things, right? She knows most things. But there are some things that she still calls home and asks for our advice on. And we get to influence some of her decisions. Take advantage of that influence. How are you influencing the next generations of your families? Last Sunday, we had a great turnout for our very first Parent Connect, where, where we're creating this event where we're coming alongside parents and assisting you to raise godly kids in, in our current world. And we, we're trying to equip you and make it practical and beneficial, helpful to you. And we brought in a guest speaker, and he started talking about influence. And he said, you know, your influence changes throughout the, the, the ages of your children. At first, you could say, this is what we're doing, period. And then they become teenagers, and they want to know why to everything, right? Why do I have to do that? Well, you know, and all of a sudden, because I said so, doesn't really work well anymore, does it? And so your influence changes a little bit. And then they graduate from your house. And then your influence changes a little bit. And then they need repairs on their homes. And you got to go fix it for them, right? 
and your influence changes a little bit. But here's what stays consistent. Influence. 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 The question is, is not are we influencing our kids, it's how are we influencing our kids? How are we leveraging the influence that we have? And I'll tell you this, your influence is, is going to be limited at times, but by golly, leverage it. And that's what Joshua is doing here. Let me tell you, I came across a very convicting post from a friend of mine by the name of Shane Pruitt. Shane is the next-gen strategist for the Southern Baptist Convention, right? North American Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. He is a friend of mine, and he made this post. And, and as you guys know, I get a chance to coach my, my kids in, in sports and baseball and basketball. And this graphic stung when I first read it. It says, as a parent to athletes, I have to constantly remind myself, if I get more excited about my child making a three-pointer, scoring a goal, or landing on a team, than I do about them telling their friends about Jesus or serving in the local church, it's time to readjust my priorities. That should be a red flag for us. Should they pursue athletics? By all means. And my boys know if you're going to do it, you better do it to the best of your ability, right? Or else there will be accountability that you will not like, right? But if we get more excited about them scoring a goal, hitting a ball, than we do about what they do with Jesus, that's messed up, right? And so here's the deal. It's our house. It's our choice. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Because you're going to serve something. Is it the Lord God? Or is it something else? Joshua was a great man who had a profound impact on his family. But he did so because of his character. And his character was built upon a history of seeing God work. He was also presented with the choice and he made a choice based upon his biblical convictions. We read about Joshua today, I don't think because of his great feats. I think we read and we look to Joshua today and we hang his words in our home because of the influence that he leveraged with his life. How are we impacting future generations? Not just your kids, but their kids and their kids, and their kids. How are we leveraging our influence? We must be a people of conviction.
You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 930 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.